Hello, everyone. Welcome to our sixth Quaret Masterclass. Today, we're going to talk about how to empower employees and design a customer-centric organization. So I'm super excited to have this conversation because uh, lately I've been talking about with different with different companies about how to organize and, and to change maybe the hierarchical uh, organization and, and to see different options. And today, like I'm super excited to listen uh, to Mickey because he will be delivering, delivering today the the pill about like how to organize uh, these uh, different ways to organize uh, organizations and it will be for me as well like the first time to to see it and to listen to it and also i have a lot of a lot of questions already and before we start i would like to uh, invite you to participate as much as you can on on the conversation you know that we want this we don't see each other in person but we want you to participate to ask maybe to share your ideas because i'm sure like you've been reading and you've been discussing or maybe you've been implementing this already in your company so please use the chat if you are on youtube you can use the youtube chat if you are on linkedin please comment because we will enjoy a lot uh seeing your comments because we will see and discussing about what you are what you're saying and before we start like just remember if you want to receive a summary of this talk you can go to our website in getquiet.com and you can like uh, subscribe. So you will receive one week the notification about the next Quiet Masterclass and another week uh, you will receive like a, a written summary about the, the talk that we that we have. And without further ado, I want to introduce you a little bit, Miki. Miki is the Senior Director of Culture and People Experience in the African Leadership Group. And he will be explaining how they change the way they they organize in in African leadership group, and also we have Alex Alex Dilme. He's the director of purpose and and culture and strategy at, at GB Foods, and myself that I help companies to uh, transform the way they attract and recruit. And so today we'll be discussing about this. Uh, Alex, um, I want to invite you, like if you want to uh, share a little bit the the Quadrant framework. Excellent, um, perfect. So thank you very much, uh, Tony. Um, let's try to set up the, the framework if you can. Yep. But anyway, as you know, in, in, in Quarry, what essentially we're trying to always try for our, our big belief is that companies can become at the same time more efficient as well as more human, right? We do believe in this win-win equation in where both, uh, right, companies will become more successful, more productive, more even um, they will grow more or they will even make a, a bigger profit at the same time that they become better places for all of their employees. As you know, we have a framework and each week or every two weeks, we try to go through, touch one of these, the small bullets that you see here, a framework that is divided across three stages. There's the owner's discovery side, the owner's hiring side, and the owner's manage one, management side. Um, at the end, we do believe that a company needs to go throughout these three processes. The first one is discover who they are through their purpose, through their values, through their, through their capabilities, understanding very, very well who is their ideal, let's say, employee. Then they need to find the right ways to attract those specific employees and obviously onboard them in the right way and make sure that the hiring is the right one. And then finally, you need to make sure that those owners stay and that you have the right management that at the end empowers each each owner to, to, their, to their absolute best. And today I'm very, very excited, as Tony was saying, because we're going to touch upon a topic that it's, it's extremely, extremely important, but at the same time, very few people talk about it, right, which is organization and governance and uh, we have an expert likely uh, among us which is Mickey that has done it in, in, in his company a few months back so nothing else I'm just very excited so Mickey the floor is yours hello everybody and, and thank you for the 
for the kind words, Alex. Um, I'm no expert. I'm just trying to learn here and there. Uh, we, we went through uh, reorganization design uh, last year in our company, um, taking advantage of the new normal time. Um, so we did dig a little bit into the issue, and, and we decided in, at Quata to, to frame it as power governance. And some of the learnings that I got there, some of the, um, of the learnings that I got um, even before that, we sort of tried to package them in, a, in this power governance framework. And hopefully, we can share some insights that, are, um, that you guys can apply to your own companies or teams. Again, this is not uh, exact science. Uh, different things work for different people. But uh, if one or two of the things that I'm going to share today um, are useful to you, I'm going to be very happy already. So let's get to it. Um, OK, so power governance. First of all, the context. Um, perhaps um, if we can make it bigger, I'm not sure if um, it's probably readable. Awesome. So the context is that we have what I call the old way. No? So since the Industrial Revolution, when mass production became a key factor of the economy, organizations have typically had a hierarchical element with a very um, you know, steep specialization of labor component. No? So this is how we've been, um, we've been organizing ourselves. And this was OK back then, but, uh, and it was necessary back then, but perhaps today brings us a couple of challenges. No? So these challenges is that it makes the, the teams, or it makes people working in the organization dependent. So dependent in, from, in terms of um, having to always revert or get back to the central or to the execution team or to the uh, leadership team to actually take decisions. So they cannot act with autonomy. They cannot just go out there and decide and, and make an impact to, for the customers. No, they are a bit dependent on central, on the executive team. The second challenge is that they're a bit you know um, disconnected from the customers and this this is in the sense that man, much of the energy that is spent in the hierarchical organizations goes to all of that bureaucracy instead of being spent on adding actual value for the customer so we're dependent to make decisions we're a bit disconnected because we're thinking about something else and there's a lot of processes and rules that prevent us from putting all of our, all of our energy to add value to the customers. And finally, all this also results in people being a bit more disengaged, perhaps, no? So I, I, I feel like I cannot have enough autonomy. I feel like I lack some, some power. I feel disconnected uh, from the impact that I'm making in, in, the, in our customers. So I don't get a lot of meaning, for, uh, meaning from work. So these are some of the challenges or opportunities for improvement and from the old way, the old way of organizing ourselves that is based in one, big hierarchical, big hierarchical component and big specialization of labor component. Then I wanted to also, in this context part of it, um, talk about the city paradox. And the city paradox is that um, every time a city doubles, productivity um, per resident goes up by 15%. Of course, this is a study, like it's more or less, no? But every time, the takeaway here is that every time a city doubles and um, productivity goes up. Um, on the opposite side of this, every time a company doubles in size, 
in size, the exact opposite happens. Productivity per employee, per staff member, actually is decreased. So why is this happening? Some of the answers, or, or one of the answers, might be that cities are a bit more self-organized. So even if in a city there's a, there's a town hall and there's some structure, there's institutions, and for the most part, the living components of that city and the, the companies that operate in that city, the people operating in that city and producing value for the community, sort of operate on their own. They don't have to revert back to the town hall every time they want to make a decision. Um, and they actually can regulate, organize uh, themselves in the way they like, more or less within some rules, but they can, they can just go on and decide, no? Whereas this freedom and autonomy component if we are in the old way, old way of organizing a company, it's a bit less um, pronunciated, it's a bit less um, steep, I guess. And that's why, or that's one of the reasons why we believe that uh, when a city doubles in size, actually the productivity that we achieve, that we can achieve as a city, increases while when a company doubles in size, um, we don't manage to do that normally. Um, digging deeper into the issues that companies have, um, I wanted to talk a little bit about organizational physics. And this is a new concept that I read about a few, a few months back when we were doing research to actually redesign our organization at the African Leadership Group. And one of the, digging deeper into the problems that actually uh, the companies have in terms of what happens if we organize ourselves in the wrong way, is that it's where, as I said before, no, it's where um, our energy as people, as staff member goes. In an average organization, um, it, is, it, is, it has been analyzed, there are studies that show that 80% of the share of energy of the people that form that organization, does, it actually does not go to creating value for the customer. So what happens is that only 20% of the energy that the people in that organization have during the time that they're working for the organization actually goes to get 20% um, to, to drive value for the customer, 80% goes somewhere else. We will see now where. In the best organizations though, we actually have to flip that. So we gotta get to a place where it doesn't matter exactly the number, but 70, 60, 65, 80, 85, it depends on how well we do it, I guess. But the majority of the energy of the people in the organization is dedicated, is devoted to actually drive value for the customers. It's not devoted in anything else. And then 30% is, is dedicated in, in some other tasks that we will see now. So um, where does the energy go? So we just said that not all the energy goes to actually delivering value. So where does the energy go? So when we talk about organizational physics, we talk about the fact that there's three structures in an organization. Well, there should be three structures. In some of them, there's only two, and now we will see why. So there's, first of all, there's the formal structure. Every single organization has a formal structure, and this is the typical hierarchy. So it is the typical org chart um, that you actually, this person reports to this person, belongs to that department, that at the same time is connected to that other, um, to that other manager, and that at the same time reports to um, his or her uh, manager, and, and so forth and so on. In this case, the, um, the type of leadership is the compliance leadership. There are some rules, there is a set of rules and you comply to those rules. And the power that is actually driving 
um, the energy or, or this structure, the setup of this structure is getter key. Um, this means that there's some energy that will have to be spent in, um, in being dependent on this hierarchy. You know? So I need to scale things up. I need to ask for authorization. I need to get approval. I need to get validation. So there's, there's like many, much of the energy that gets into navigating this hierarchy and this really super ultra structured like um, way of organizing our, our company. So there's, there's a lot of energy that is devoted in this formal structure when there's no other structures operating. The good thing is that there's other structures operating in a company. And the second one is always also present in a company and it's the informal structure. So the formal one is the org chart and uh, it's ruled by the power of hierarchy. Then there's an informal structure and it's ruled by the power of influence. So these are like the, the different social interactions that happen in an organization. This is really difficult to map or to control or to manage or to regulate but um, it's present in every single organization. And what happens is that it's directly proportional to the formal structure. So the more weight a formal structure has in an organization, the more weight we place on the hierarchy, on the authority, on the specialization in an organization through the formal structure, normally there's more energies being spent in the informal structure because then people tend to you know, chit chat more. I'm not gonna say what, they might criticize some things here and there. They might not be happy. They might talk in, on each other's backs because they're not happy in the way this person is, you know. A, a lot of informal structure results in a lot of informal structure and a lot of energy being spent in these side conversations and this chit chat. This is a given. In every single organization that I've seen, you have a formal structure and you have an informal structure. But many organizations stop here. Um, and the key, or one of the keys that uh, we've come to realize when we were doing all of our research is that you need to put in place a third structure in this organizational physics world. There's a third type of structure that we can tap into. And it's, uh, it's called the value structure. The value structure is the one structure that is actually designed and dedicated to drive value for the customers. There's no other, uh, you know, way like reason behind it there's no um you know importance of hierarchies or there's no importance of job titles or salaries we design this value structure in a way that is best to drive value for the customers period um so the type of leadership is value leadership and we we say that the, it's the power of reputation no so there's all, all the concept of meritocracy um driving value for customers so all these results or ends up in in reputation so what we see that is really important to actually get to this value structure is to actually resemble what we saw in the city. And for me, it's really important to see this little picture that you see here that is a, a Champlain in Barcelona because it seems like it's little cells, no? It, as if one of each of these little cells is a group of individuals, is a, is a company within the city that is actually driving value in different ways. One can be making wood, the other one can be selling chairs, the other one can be a restaurant, everybody's adding their own value and it's self-regulated, it's autonomous. So can we replicate something similar in a company? Can we build a team of teams? And, and very important team of teams because each of these teams is connected, collaborates, but is really autonomous, can function as a mini company inside the, the bigger company. So all this takes us <laughs> to the power framework. And we call it power framework because 
And one of the most important things that these teams of teams of each of these teams or each of these cells that um, exist in a company or exist in a city needs to have is power. They need to be empowered. They need to be empowered to make decisions. They need to be empowered to serve the customers. They need to be empowered to make an impact. You know? So uh, we decided that power, if we have to summarize it in just one word, was power. So that's why we call it, um, we call it power framework. Um, so this team of teams, you might tend to think that this team of teams is something that you can work out in a startup that is really like something that it only works if it's like a, a smaller company. If you get too big, then it's impossible to actually operate in this way. And to actually get us to a place where we actually can start believing that this is possible in bigger organizations as well, there's this little little video that we would like to share with you by, by Steve Jobs. So let's let's listen to it. We are a very we are organized like a startup. One person's in charge of iPhone OS software. One person's in charge of Mac hardware. One person's in charge of iPhone hardware engineering. Worldwide marketing. Another person's in charge of operations. It's we're organized like a startup. We're the biggest startup on the planet. Perfect. So um, I want us to to only one takeaway from 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 Steve here is that they're the biggest startup in the planet. And I don't know back then how big Apple was, but of course it was like thousands of employees spread uh, all over the world. So um, I think that this shows that operating as teams that have autonomy and that are empowered to make an impact and drive value for the customers is something that even very big companies can do, and it's not something that only smaller startups can actually um, implement. I say that because we implemented it in the African Leadership Group. Last year, we were around 100 people. So it's like it's a smaller company. But we truly believe that this can be implemented following the same patterns. It can be replicated in larger companies as well. Of course, as I always say, it, you need to understand, given the reality of your company, the context of your company, and your goals and strategy, you will adapt a little bit what you implement and, and what you tweak. But there's a way for you to actually thrive in a new way. So moving away, the goal is to move away from the old way that we presented at the beginning. Now, um, moving okay. on with we the presentation. Are very, we are Sorry. Uh, what does the power framework actually look like? The power framework, we try to make it in a way that it's easy for you to remember. So each of the letters of power will mean something. Um, we made it in a way that actually means something real. So we, we didn't like adapt uh, all the all the concepts or, or different parts of it uh, to make it to make it actually rhyme. But um, it's actually this is what we saw when we were implementing and uh, the newer design. These are some of the things that we saw that the teams that make up this team of teams actually need to have. The first thing is they need to be prepared to win. So they need to have and we will go deeper into it in a minute, but they need to have everything they need to actually be successful. And they need to have it up front. We'll touch on it now. The second thing is they need to be oriented. They need to be guided. There needs to be some facilitation. There needs to be a degree of, of structure. So we, not, we are not coming here and say, OK, break down all the walls. Um, and ex dismiss or fire every single manager and middle manager that you have. Let everyone self-regulate themselves. We'll see that this has actually um, some negative uh, consequences as well. So what we suggest is a, is a middle ground no, between autonomy and structure. Third, they need to be really, these teams need to be really wired to the customers. This means that whenever you see that 
uh, and Alex was talking about this the other day when she was he was talking about the values. If we just have the values that everybody else has, like accountability, flexibility, that it probably means that you didn't dig deep enough. You gotta make them your values. You might you gotta adapt them to your reality. In this case, it's the same. Why does every single company have the same departments? Doesn't it feel a bit weird? Shouldn't be the departments of the teams of each company be different depending on the reality of that company? So that's what we believe we, we should have here, no? Wired to the customers. Um, empowered. So as we've been saying, and this is one of the most important things, they need to have power to decide, power to make an impact. And finally, they need to be results-driven. We cannot control these teams or the people in these teams. We have to give them structure, but we cannot control them in terms of inputs. We need to focus on the outputs. We need to have some tracking, some monitoring, some KPIs, yes. But what we're going to do is we're going to focus on the outputs. Now, let's go deeper into each of, of these parts, by the way. And then the magic also is on how we connect um, all these teams together. So first, we need to make sure how that we know how to create each of these teams, what we need, what are the ingredients for these teams to succeed. And then it's going to be very important to know how to connect them to each other so they actually collaborate and they don't work in silos. So the first one. And this is prepare to win, remember, no? So prepare to win. What does this mean? The most important thing, or one of the most important things of a team is that it needs to have the resources to succeed. Um, these, in, I, when I say resources, I tend to focus on, there's perhaps more things, but the two most important concepts are the skills and the budget. Remember that we say that it's a team of teams. Remember that we say it's like having several mini companies inside of the company. This means that each of the teams needs to have enough skills or the most important skills for, uh, to succeed. And for us, what we discovered is that what we wanted to have was somebody on each of the teams. We needed to have somebody who knows about experience design so that he's going to be focused on designing the experience and obsessed on the experience that the customers from that team are going to have. Um, data. We want to keep experimenting. We want to keep being data-driven. We want to keep iterating to drive value for the customers. So there needs to be somebody looking at data. And there needs to be someone who's um, dedicated to the systems, because every single team will leverage systems that will enable the success of that team. So there needs to be someone who's actually taking care of that of those systems or the more like the technology side of things, I guess. And then there's going to be in each team, depending on the, the goals of the team, there are going to be some like one or two skills that are very specific to that, to that team. So of course, if a team uh, needs somebody who knows about um, online advertising, we will have to give that skill to that team. No? So this means that you have, and the most important takeaway here is that there's several skills that you will have to define. In our case, this was it, that are important in every single team. If a team doesn't have somebody who's taking care of the experience design, well, then it's dependent. That team is not autonomous enough, cannot take all the decisions, has to actually reach out to central, remember what we were saying the old way, and then ask, please, can we have somebody who helps us design the experience here? And, and these are not a resource that, a resource that they have. Same for data, same for systems. Um, and then in addition to this, by the way, these people doing that, normally tend to be generalists who are great learners and who can actually get it done. You don't need somebody who has been doing data or IT for five years or 10 years. You need somebody who is this, this person who is capable of wearing many hats that is really entrepreneurial and who will learn fast. So in our case, that's what happens. And sometimes you will have your own job and then you 
On top of that, you will take care of the data side of things. And then somebody else will, will be focusing on something else, or we have this job title, and we'll also wear the hat of the systems for that given team. No? So this is something that is, um, it can work with the other reality of the company. So I have my job, and I take care of this. So we have this specialist. And then on the other side, the budget. Do not do not like, play hard with the teams that, in terms of budget, I think. like We have to be frugal, especially when we're a startup, but it's important that the teams have the enough tools and support to actually succeed. If they have to just like, they need to hustle, but up to a point, I guess what I'm saying. So that's the first thing. They need to be prepared to win. All the skills and budget to actually be successful. And uh, yeah, and upfront, because I, I found it many times where this is like, you go on to get to your goals, and then you have to fight for like three months to get the resources that you wanted to get. And then all these like, just like, drugs and drugs and drugs and that it makes it really hard to get to your objectives no so it's important that you actually set them up for success at the beginning of course then you keep iterating you keep moving the resources that you need in that team and then most of the times you actually if that team keeps growing 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 what you want to do is like break it and then build a new team i'm going to go to now to the oh to oriented and i'm going to start with holacracy and and this is really popular now so medium and zappos and some other companies made it really popular and then as, as, as fast as it went up, it kind of went down um, as well because, you know, there were, there, there were rumors that some of these companies actually took a step back from it because there were some problems resulting from it. So I think that I, I personally, and that's a personal opinion, I personally really like the, the idea behind Holacracy. I think that it's, it's actually what I came here to share today. So it's this team of teams that are autonomous, self-regulated. But perhaps they took it... Um, and, and I don't want to, this is an opinion again, but they took it very far. Um, and what happened, some of the consequences of this is that some of the leaders were leaving because they didn't have a place in the company anymore. So really talented people who are, I don't know, in, in the middle management rank, um, they actually decided to leave because there was no space for them anymore or that was not motivating for them. Um, and at the same time, they realized that people felt lost. It was like, Okay, I don't like being told what to do all the time. I like to keep my power. I like to keep my autonomy and freedom, but up to a point. I will also have some structure because this helps me from, prevents me from spending energy into trying to figure out the whole thing. And it, I would also love to get some guidance. And this happens to me personally too. When I have my, I can count on my manager so that um, it unblocks things for me. Um, she facilitates things for me. She prevents some of the brownies that might come from upstairs and, and I don't spend, I, I can spend all my energy driving value. You know? So we figured that it's important to keep this balance, to give some orientation to the, to the team. So these teams need to have this facilitation, this orientation. So we need a, a minimum of, um, of structure. In our case, just to give you an example of how we're keeping structure or how are you keeping this minimum of structure? Well, we have an execution committee. Um, so this is for like the longer term, more strategic decisions. Then we have an operating council and execution unit. These people, what they do is they give support to the teams to help them deliver, to help them move faster. They, this is like consultancy inside the firm. Um, then we have team of teams leads. So in our, in our case, and we'll see it in a minute, we have squads and tribes. So there's leaders for the squads and then there's gonna be a leader for the tribe as well. And then, and there's team leads. No? So this is the minimum guidance and structure that in our flat organization, because it was really, really, really wide, that we wanted to have a minimum of structure. And that's how we made it happen. 
then remember what it to the customers. And here we said, not every single company is doing the same. So not every single company can be doing the, can be having the same departments. That would be weird, you know? that would be suspicious. Like it's weird that this suggestion of marketing sales funds is just like perfect for everybody. Everybody adopts the same thing, period. So what we advise here and what we did is we followed our customer journey. So we said like, okay, so our customers, what is their journey? Where do they do at the beginning? What do they do after and after and after? We followed like the different touch points and we actually segmented, divided our customer journey. And then we created the different teams. Here, I'm, not, I'm gonna give you a random example of a, of a company who's making food or as a restaurant. So um, imagine in, that, that instead of having a marketing department, we call it chef selection. Instead of having a product department, we call it chef development. And instead of having, you know, and, and this way we follow, we select the chefs, we develop the chefs, we take care of the experience of the chefs. So that's what we did. Um, in our case, it's a learning company. That's why you see on top <laughs> that we have this mix up. So on top, we're talking about learning and enrolling in a course. That's what we have. So first thing that they do is they apply and enroll in a course. Then they start learning. Then after they learn in the, in the different uh, courses and, and things that we do, there's a larger community. We want them to get involved in the community. So we gotta take care of the experience that they have there. So we have small teams that they actually follow the journey of the customer. So this means that we don't have, we don't call it a product team, we don't call it a marketing team. We might call it, we have young leaders in our case, so we might call it young leader selection, young leader development. So what is the goal that this team is trying to achieve? That's the goal? Okay, so let's call it that. It might be different, the marketing that we do, it might be a little different from the marketing that our company does. So that's our first step towards this customization. And then the squads are gonna divide those touch points even further. So even selection, there's um, admissions, that these squads that fall inside of the tribe are gonna divide this journey even farther, no? one step farther. And then um, <laughs> I really like the, the, the saying from Jeff Bezos that says that teams should be able, we should be able to feed teams with two pizzas. Otherwise the team is too big. And it's too big. And when, when a team gets too big, that's why I say they're customized teams based on what you're doing. And then entrepreneurial teams, because these teams need to be agile. They need to move fast. They need to move this, make decisions in, in a speedy way. No? So we need velocity. And when a team grows too fast, I think that um, we're just not having that velocity. Or it's a bit harder to move. No? So the leaner that we stay, the easier it is to actually just uh, be obsessed about the customer. These are, by the way, some of our mindsets for the team. So they need to be customer obsessed. They, they need to keep experimenting all the time. And they need to, of course, be data driven to experiment because if you experiment without data, then we don't know. Um, so what we said about being wired to the customers is that it's gonna be teams that are gonna be following our customer journey and it's gonna be small entrepreneurial teams. And our small entrepreneurial teams are divided in this, in this way. You know? So we have squats. These are mini companies inside of the company. Um, they're cross-functional. Like we said before, we have people um, that has different skills. They have autonomy to fill the mission that they have, the squad mission, and they're long-standing. They usually don't change that often. They could change, you know, if the reality of the company changes, but usually they don't change that often. And then we have tribes, which is a collection of squads. So whenever we have, and um, you know, a, a squad that are linked to each other in the sense of the objective or the value that they're bringing for the customer, we unite them all into a tribe. And then we will have a squad lead and a tribe. And finally, we also have two, th two things that are interesting and then perhaps you can, you can actually find interesting for you too. So whenever there's a, 
a more temporary thing that we want to mm, drive for the customer, we have a specific need that is only going to happen in this quarter, we build a task force. So we don't need to create a team that it's forever. So we bring the, the best people that we have to solve that problem for the customer. We call it task force. And it's going to be something temporary, cross-functional. The members are going to be restricted. So um, it's not going to be open to everybody to join. And it's, it's going to be promoted by the leadership normally. And it's a formal structure with a formal cadence of meetings, and et cetera, et cetera. No? And then on the other side of, of driving value for the customers in a more informal way, there's the guilds. These guilds are permanent, um, are functional, open to everybody, self-organized by the, by the staff members, and they are more informal in the way they, they, they meet. No? And a guild, what it is, is if there's an interest in community building, well, somebody can raise their hand and like, I really want to like get to um, share information with other people in the company and learn together about community building. Everybody who knows community building or who's interested in community building in the company, they get together in a guild and they develop and document all these knowledge that then can be utilized by, by the other teams as well. Finally, empowered. Um, and this is an example from a picture from a video from Spotify, which has a really great video on how they actually approach all these and were huge inspiration for us to transform our company and to redesign our company. They are the first that started talking about squads, tribes, mega tribes. So and guilds, we owe a lot to, to the way they saw things and the, the, their futuristic way of, of seeing work and our organization for the companies. And that's what we seek. You know, when we say empower, it's exactly this. Like We want some alignment, so we don't want just like full autonomy and how you see here, like hope someone is working on the river problem and then everybody is doing their thing, nobody's coordinated. No? So we want some alignment and we want some guidance. Uh, we need to cross the river, as you can see here that the manager is saying. So we have that guidance there, but then everybody has the autonomy and is empowered to go on and figure the way to cross the river. We don't actually say to them, build a bridge because maybe they find a better way, a leaner way, a faster way, a less costly way to actually cross the, the bridge. You know? But we need to empower people in order for them to, to surprise us. Otherwise, it's going to be difficult for them to, um, to if we, they say that if we expect a lot of people, they're going to deliver a lot. And then we respect a little from people, then they're going to meet that, that expectation as well. No? So I think that there's a lesson there. So um, that's the first part of empowerment. The second part of empowerment, this is how we actually structure our decisions. So there's the global decisions that, oh my God, they impact everybody. So these ones are very important and strategic. And this might be taken more by the leadership team. Mega tribe decisions that actually impact like, a lot of tribes. But then there's the tribe decisions that impact just one or two tribes. And then the squad decisions that only impact one or two squads within a single tribe. So we want what we want to have of the goal is to actually be able to really quickly categorize the type of decision that it is, who it affects, by, by knowing who it affects. And then the most important thing is, 85% or roughly 85% of your decision should be type three or type four. So you should never go all the way up to the hierarchy and spend all your energy in bureaucracy to actually go and make that decision. So um, that's the, the, the takeaway here. And finally, you have to add a picture of Mauritius, of course, where I'm at right now. And um, there have to be results oriented. Uh, in, in the day of information era and digital era that we are today, and we cannot be controlling the inputs. We cannot be telling the sales rep how many calls they have to do in a day. We actually have to measure and what's the revenue that they bring at the end of the month. No? So that's what we want to do with our OKRs or PKRs that we call them, like Alex explained the other day, purpose and key results. There are like objectives that are really linked to our purpose. And then if we set those clear, we have a, a way or a tool to actually project manage and to track all the progress on these PKRs or OKRs, like, uh, I don't know, on Asana and, and, we, and so forth. Uh, it's going to be very easy to just like 
have them. And that's why I say remote friendly. It doesn't have to happen remotely. But if you want to work remotely, you can. Because at the end of the day, what you're doing is you're trying to focus on the outputs, on the goals, on the results, and caring a bit less on the on the inputs. No? And that's the end of the, of the power framework. Again, prepared to win, oriented, wired to the customers, empowered, and results results driven. And that's the end of my of my presentation, my pill. I hope you guys found uh, interest in it. That's how we did it. And we it took us like maybe two, perhaps like three, a quarter. I guess it, it's a quarter to revert our old ways of working in our in our company to just like adapt adapting this way of working. And, and it can be done by anyone really. So if, if there's something that is, is useful here, um, for sure go ahead and, and try to implement it even if your company has a very different reality than, than our company. Fantastic, Miki. Thanks for, for sharing the bill. I think there is a, a lot of knowledge that I have been like writing a lot of notes and, and I think like I will, I will have to rewatch it. Because obviously, like it can be uh, well. First, you explain the theory, then you explain like how you implemented it, and I think like it just like maybe we'll need like 30 minutes of explaining how uh, you did uh, every every part. So um, my my first question in order in order to open the debate, and I invite everyone as you say like let's chat. So you are on YouTube or you are on LinkedIn. Uh, Please do comment on what are your takeaways or if you are implementing any of these as well or what are your thoughts or your problems that you see uh, to your organization because then it like, will be like super rich the conversation. But my my first question, like in order to be like really pragmatic, uh, will be like what will be like the first three steps or the first steps that uh, if I want to implement this in my company, my company is the classic hierarchical company that most of, of, of us we know, like with departments, like even silos. Uh, so how, how we can like approach this? So first is like have like the alignment of the CEO of the company maybe, or like uh, how, how you approach like the first steps. If today we listen to this, we understand and it's like we want to try to implement this, this change. How do you will what will be like the first steps? Yeah, it will depend on how much hierarchy you have, how much energy you will have to spend on this, as we just saw. <laughs> and <laughs> but yeah, no, and by the way, so everybody who's watching, uh, we don't really prepare these questions, so they just pop, and then I just have to like <laughs> do my best to answer them. So it's really <laughs> on the spot. So I think that what the, the most important thing first is to to decide what you're trying to do. What we did, we did it last year in our case because um, you, the new normal, well, the COVID happened and the new normal came and then we re-strategized. So we defined a new strategy. And since our strategy was, was had a, quite a bit of differences compared to the old one, we decided that our old organization design was not the best to enable the new strategy. So I guess the, the first thing is that to realize where you wanna get to, how you wanna get there, and having a clear purpose, goals, and, and the whole package, no values, and then the strategy that you want to get, that you want to use to as well. Whenever that is clear, um, then I think that the next stage would be to, like I said, think about the value that you drive for the customer. Think perhaps like in terms of the journey of the customer and try to understand if your departments are actually, well, of course, that you first have to convince everybody, yeah? but um, you just send them the link to this conversation. But um, in, like more specifically, whenever you have the green light, 
I think that you have to start understanding um, how you drive value for the customers and what is their journey. And once you understand that, um, you can start to define as a first step, I guess, the way you in which you want to break down your company. So when we say team of teams, what are going to be, and you can call it in a different way. Yeah? If, if people are scared when, you, when they hear tribes and squads, you can call it departments and, and teams, whatever. But they, you have to understand what is how you want to break it down. Um, are you going to continue following the same format and the same departments that everybody else has? Or is there something more specific that you, that can, that you can use and that is going to be, make it easier for you to actually drive value? No? So then what you're going to have is you're going to have all the, the breakdown in terms of like the tribes and squads, the departments, and the teams that you want to have. Once you have clarity on that, I guess that you need to understand how you're going to win in each of these teams. You will have some things that are, specific, uh, that are general. So if you want to really empower each team, you will have to give them the, prepare them to win, as I said. So maybe be a person that's dedicated to data. You got you to gotta know your basics. So if you want a data person, you want an experienced person. And whenever you have the basics, then you've got to know how you're going to win in that team, in each team, and define the jobs for, that, for winning in that team. So if for one team, you need, as I said before, like an online advertising person. Well, you define that that's one of the roles. No? And then you define the roles for each of the teams. When you have that, um, <clears throat> what we did internally is what we, we used our greenhouse, and we created a job portal, an internal job portal. And then we added, we uploaded all the jobs and with mini job descriptions for every single team that we were actually coming up with. So we uploaded all the tribes, all the squads, all the jobs with videos by the, by the future tribe leads and squad leads, et cetera. And, and then we opened it up for people to apply. So we gave people the opportunity to apply to three jobs. And, and there were like a couple. It was a very simplified um, hiring process. But then we gave them the opportunity to apply for three jobs. And then the leads had to choose their, their people. And then for the most part, I think that we had a, a match rate of around 85%. And then we realized in the process that 15% was either not interested in where the direction we were going or either were not being picked uh, and were not a fit for the company. We realized that there were people who were actually, perhaps for different reasons, not being picked by any lead. And then we took case by case, and, and, and we also took some, some hard decisions as well. And then we, we just continued. We, we leaned a bit, but that's not necessary in every single case. It happened you know, in a couple of cases. But for the most part, we matched everyone. Everybody was really happy and energized. And then the last stage is to go out and hire because you're gonna have you're gonna have gaps. So you're gonna have teams where you still have gaps and that you couldn't hire internally. So you gotta go out uh, externally and and make those hires. So the total process was half a year, no? So the first three months it was the internal stuff, and then the last three months was just to go out and hire externally, I guess. Fantastic. I'll let Alex, I have follow-up questions, but I'll, I'll let Alex ask you, and then maybe we can follow up on this. <laughs> no, it, it's, it's precisely a follow-up question on what you just said, Mickey, because um, I think this is one of the levers that organizations typically do not really um, go through because it's it's painful, it's risky, um, you know, and, and usually you, you take other 
I don't know, um, initiatives to, to maximize the efficient organization. Organization per se or governance is one of the ones that is really scary. One of the fears uh, and uh, in, in the process you now were mentioning is this probably this uncertainty. No? So you have this structured fixed role and now all of a sudden you tell me that this disappears. So whatever I used to have in the past disappears and I need to apply for a new job internally and, um, and make sure the team lead hires me. And I don't know, I guess, I've been through a couple of reorganizations in my companies and these processes are extremely stressful, are extremely emotional, right? So I want to ask you a little more on how did you navigate all that fear, all that, um, I don't know, lack of security process, moving from a structural or a structured organization to a more liquid, if I may. I think um, it's, it's also a matter of, of I think we were lucky enough to have people that were hired for values and that were that had this value of like adaptability of uh, they were really entrepreneurial or we are really entrepreneurial because we hired that way. So I didn't see lots of problems there. But I guess it's it's how you frame it as well. No, it's a bit of the storytelling that you give people, and you gotta set the stage really good, properly. No, so you cannot just go out there and say, hey. Your jobs are going to disappear. Uh, you're going to have to <laughs> apply for new stuff. Bye. And maybe they don't hire you. They don't pick you. Uh, no, I mean, it's also how you present it. No? So I think that in our case, it was, OK, guys, um, we have a new stuff. And actually, like, just sharing the information in the context. No? So it was really something that made sense. Like, OK, guys, there's the COVID. There's the new normal. This means that our delivery of our learning is not going to happen offline. It's also going to happen online. This means that we're going to go remotely. This means that we got to focus more on creating social capital and, and, and this global community. So we, we figured out a couple of things on strategy. You know? So it's like, okay, if we want to do all these things, um, it makes sense to rethink the way we are structured. You know? And what we did is we did all this. We explained every single step of the process. And right? we include people and we, and we let them chime in. So it's like, okay, this is how we're going to be structured. Uh, we did all this research. And now these are going to be the new teams, how we're going to be adding driving value like okay so now what's going to happen okay so what's going to happen is that and and we did it in a fun way I remember that we created a virtual job fair so it was like it was like a, a very cool event that you go to the job fair everybody was reassured like nobody's going to be fired like this is not like us getting rid of people we're in a very good financial position right now we're not doing this to restructure the company of course if somebody doesn't you know see a fit in the new organization they can leave but that's not our intention so this was clear since the beginning and then we made it a bit fun and then you went to the job fair it was digital of course because we're remote we went to the job fair we did this big event and they had little booths so they had a booth not booths booth booths booths <laughs> so they had a booth for marketing well it was young a booth for something else so they had little bo um, different booths and the tribe leads would engage with them and then they would explain the new department and you know they they would answer this, their questions and then whenever we then that's the first time okay so then you will be able to see all the different opportunities okay okay they went through it and then after this and um, we posted the jobs online it was like okay guys now you're gonna apply you can apply and we made the applications really cool as well they had videos by the tribe and squad leads explaining the position um it was actually really made in a cool way you know yeah and and then it was really bound and then, and then we kept following this path, and we we saw that everybody was actually making. And we encouraged people to choose three, and then we found. Then it was a bit of like a, having this like touch, no, to, to from the background see, okay, 
who are we going to pair with whom and how we're going to do this. And then a lot of like talk with the squad leads and tribe leads to actually keep everyone happy in the cases where two people were selected by, by two different leads. What, what do we do there? How do we weight the preference of the person? How do we weight the preference of the, or the importance of that given squad for the, that given moment and priorities of the organization? So there's a lot of things to take into account. But then at the end, when, once we did all these like matching and, and puzzle, which was really fun to do, by the way, and, and we communicated the decisions, I think that we, since we were able to have the input from leads, from people, and we took it really like one case at a time, I think we did it in a way that everybody was, was, was happy, to be honest. And then we figured that there were only like, like I said, like maybe 10% of people didn't, uh, or less, 5% of people didn't apply for, for, for jobs. And we talked to them, they, they said, we also, ah, by the way, uh, last thing I'm going to say, because it's getting long, but we gave them the opportunity to get, I think it was around five months of salary if they decided to leave. So I guess this also covers a lot of the uncertainty uh, that you were talking about. So we said, okay, guys, we're doing this. That's the reason. And no worries. We're going to make it in a cool way, fun way. You're going to have a lot of options. Nobody's going to get fired. But if you really want to leave because that's not where you want to head into, five months so that you can find a new place. We're going to help you as well. It was the time where Airbnb was doing all those communications. That was the, the same, right? Every, I don't know if that was. I remember Airbnb with Brian Chesky and a long email that was published uh, to all employees where we're going to help you find a new job. So we did the same thing. Uh, we covered we covered as much as they needed, and then we helped them. And it really like wasn't wasn't a lot of people. You would see that there's not a lot of people who don't find a place in, in such a new organization. I think that most people see it as an opportunity to, to breathe. It's like, okay, fine, I'm going to be able to, to seek new horizons. And actually, I had a team, and I kept my exact team. We, we call it differently, it was, but it was, I think it was the only case but because many of the other people were restructured. But in our case, it was, it, we kept the same kind of like format for the team and people decided to stay. And so if people wanted to stay, continue doing the same time, they could for the most part. And so it was, it was in hindsight, it was, it was safe. It's true that it can be scary, but if you break it one piece at a time and you offer some security measures, I think you can get it done. Fantastic. There is a question in LinkedIn, and then I'll, I'll keep following. I keep asking you questions uh, from Bernardita. I just put it here. So say like, hi, Michael said something about empowering, empowering the teams. I think that's applicable for teams that work in innovative projects, special for each client, etc. But how do you suggest transferring the same empowerment roles into the company that they have routine uh, functions where people might feel that they don't have as much value as other teams? Yeah, that's a very good question. I, um, I think that you can you can be empowered. So empowerment applies to all, all jobs. So I remember there's the, the, I think it's in the culture code book where it's talking about waiters and how it's very important for waiters to be empowered. And there's another book which is Delivering Happiness by Tony Sai, the founder of Zappos, that talks about how the, um, the customer support reps and it's very important for them to be empowered and it explains that case of like some of them like offer like telling them how to get a pizza or even answering like the most ridiculous questions so i think that empowerment matters at all levels and and whatever you do like even if sometimes it matters more in positions like this almost no so i think that empowerment is is, mm -hmm. is beneficial with the the more the closer you are to the front lines um even if it's a routine task the more empowered you should you should, you're supposed to be i guess 
Um, and then if there's some things that happen in the background that are very routine, I, I, in my opinion, you can still you can still have empowerment. No? And I think that in terms of creating new things and designing new things, there's people that are going to always prefer more stable stuff. So I think that when you offer all the possibilities, naturally people will self-select. If there's somebody who is a bit more less, you know, prone to actually or keen to actually create and design new things and innovate, will self-select towards things that are a bit more safe and more routine-like. But in terms of empowerment, I think that we can do it in all different yeah. If I can share like two examples, because I, I, I've been lucky to work with contact center positions and, and obviously people that works in contact centers or call centers, it's a job that is super routine, like as Bernard was saying. So what we found is like at the end, every piece of or every person that works in a company adds some some value because if not, you wouldn't hire them. So you have to see the value linked to uh, the purpose of the company. So. I remember, like, I work with uh, the call center of booking and also the, the contact center of Securitas Direct, which is like a security with alarms and stuff like this. So at the end, it's like we're trying, okay, please uh, make them see the importance they have within the company. So with with booking, at the end, you never talk to booking. You never you do everything online. When you to actually talk to booking or, or talk to someone in booking, is the, the people in the call centers. So. What we made them see, and from the very very beginning, the job offer, the first thing we will explain is like, do you want to be the person who solves uh, the problems that people have on holidays, and you will be the person like saving, uh, like or making that people happy because you solve them their problems. So I was I was making them see the purpose they had. Like they they weren't just like making calls or receiving calls. They were like making people happy by solving the problems they had during holidays. Or like even uh, the contact center with uh, Securitas Direct. I was telling them, you are the person who will be delivering the experience to the customer. So because we can have like the best engineers designing the best, the better alarms or like the, the security uh, systems. But at the end, when the customer have the product and if they have any issue, they will call the contact center. So you are the person delivering uh, the experience to the, to the customer. And you are like a really important part in, in our company. So at the end, it's like, there is no even if it's routine or the or the bartender. You go to a restaurant, you you see a bartender, uh, you receive a, a bartender, and if they don't fill the job, they just like working there for for uh, getting a salary and, and doing the hours. You will have a different experience rather uh, than if you find a bartender that really believes in what he does and really enjoys it and see the importance of like greeting the customers, delivering ex an experience, and focusing. Or well, Miko was saying focusing on delivering an experience to the. The, or bringing value to the to the customers, the experience of the customer, the bartender, and everybody like really changes. So at the end, I think it's uh, it can start with the communication, making them see constantly the impact they have. And it's and in terms of recruiting, the other day they found it, it's called job crafting. That is like like see the 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 importance of your role because at the end, it's not what you do; it's not what, it's it's more why why you do what you do and the impact you have. And and in, in a lot of positions, we don't see that impact. And and we need we we should remember like today I was watching a video about teachers. We should remember the the impact of the the teachers, and they should remember themselves every day the impact they have in in and in these children's lives. And in order to maybe enjoy or give them their best or to be motivated, because sometimes we we forget and we get accustomed. So uh, I think that would be my 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 tip for for uh, Bernadita. 
And Mickey, I wanted to ask you, because what we saw is like when I was reading uh, about Holocracy, it seems like everything was organic. There were no leaders. They were like everybody. Ah. So I like your system because it was more, <laughs> it was more, I don't know, I think what, why it failed. So now, like if I, I'm, I'm trying to imagine how to implement these in different companies I work with, I was saying, okay, there is like the management team, there are like the leaders of the teams, but with this restructure, uh, I don't know, like some people that fight to like go up in the ladder, let's say this way, they might find like, oh, now I'm losing the power. Uh, do they lose the power? Do they feel this way? Do you feel like managers will sabotage this process in order to keep the power structure, you know, like not your power structure, not like their power within the, the company? Because what I'm seeing is like a lot of, or what I'm thinking in my head is like people who have been in the company for 10 years, 15 years, going up the ladder, that now you're suggesting, okay, we're going to change this. Everybody's going to be autonomous, like maybe leaders, you will have a just, but you cannot micromanage, you cannot, and they've been like micromanaged all, his, all their lives. And now they, there was like their, their time to do it. And you kind of uh, raise this. So did you find yourself in this situation? Yeah, I think that's that's one of the risks uh, and or, or that's one of the things that you have to be, um, be mindful of. I think that what happens is that in terms of, so you have less less levels, no? So instead of having, I think that we went from having perhaps, I don't want to lie now, but perhaps around nine or eight, seven, eight, nine levels, you get to maybe three, four. Um, so, I think it's the duality also. So in, in terms of looking out, um, people can still think of themselves as as, a, as an analyst or as, a, as an associate, um, looking out and, and, and also money-wise, no? So based on your experience, your level, and your salary will be according to that. At least that's where we are at right now. I don't know how we're going to evolve. Um, but in terms of collaboration, in terms of getting the actual work done, we have the value structure. So again, we have the formal structure. We didn't delete it. We didn't throw it to the garbage. So we still have, I still know that I'm a senior director. But in terms of how we collaborate in the company, I'm a squad lead, or I'm a tribe lead, or I'm a, you know? Mm -hmm. So that makes it, um, this duality makes it perfect because you don't feel like oh my god i'm losing everything i built to this point or i'm not I'm, I'm not losing any salary or i'm not you're keeping all that and then by the way we say that in your linkedin go on and add whatever you want to add it don't matter to us and but internally in the way we're going to you know mm -hmm. collaborate we're not going to have 1000 different things because then it's going to make it very complicated so it's one thing it's to drive value and the other setup is for salaries for you know okay. for all the other things Okay. Alex, one, one thing, Miki, on, on this. Yes, yes, yes. Um, related to this, because I find this to me is probably the, the biggest topic why or the biggest reason why probably companies are scared about switching to this model, right? This whole manager-less sort of organizations that um, it, it seems you know, without managers, everything is going gonna, is gonna to become chaos. So I like your your mid approach, you know, that, that we still have managers because if you think it in essence, I think there are sort of three roles that managers do today and, and probably two of them are or can be probably 
um, taken away as to make the organization more efficient and more, more able to, to adapt to change. So a manager, what does managers do? Just validates decisions, no? You have your own employee below and it's like, hey, can we do this? Yes, no, okay. If the employee is probably empowered enough and skilled enough, they don't need this, this type of validation. The second one is coordination, no? And I love that in your, in your processes, there's usually one person, no? In the squads or in the tribes that, that coordinates or helps throughout the coordination. So you need the manager to coordinate and oversee everything. You have a person up here that can do that. But the third one I think is very important is the mentoring role. No, what you said before that sometimes people without a mentor or somebody up that can guide them, um, they can feel really lost. So probably this, among these three, the one that you probably need to keep in the organizations, and that probably is what you're saying now in the formal hierarchies, is the side of you know mentoring, guiding, and helping. No? So that people also, you can combine in one organization different levels of seniorship. And obviously, you also, you also pay for that. Is, am I getting this right? Is that essentially, in a nutshell, how you're transforming the role of a manager in an organization and like, like yours one? Yeah, at, at the end of the day, the, the leads, if we summarize it just in one task, they, they facilitate. So they're facilitators. So my lead um, helps, helps me get my job done. And that's the only thing that we do together. Like, um, she will she will help me when I get stuck. I was like, oh my God, I, I, I'm empowered, <laughs> but I tried this on my own and I cannot get it done. So can you help me because you're, I don't know, perhaps you're better connected in the organization or you have a bit of more context because you're in more comedies, I don't know. So it might be that you have, um, you can help me unblock this. So you, you, you clear that roadblock and you give me direction also. So in my case, I like when I start working towards something and then um, I can do checkpoints. So I was like, hey, can you take a look? <laughs> Tell me if I'm, because you gave me the direction. So there's guidance now, point me to the, the right direction. And then we do, we get, we get this on the ground up and running together. And then I start on my own and with the team. And then I'll, I like these touch points. Like, okay, we're, we're still in the wrong, in the right direction, right? Any, any you know, piece of feedback that you would give me here? This, this, that, okay, that's great. We have a conversation and then we continue. So this is like setting up and guiding and then facilitating, I think are the two most important ones. And then the third one is, is preventing me from spending energy on bureaucracies or on, on things that, are, that can keep me away from adding value. No? So if, if the lead can block stuff that comes from upstairs, that's awesome. And then I can just focus a leader, what it does is, keeps all my energy to, or maximizes the amount of my energy that is dedicated to driving value. And then I, I try to do the same also with cascades. Then I will obviously, and just like I, and there's a cool book that's called High Output Management, where it tells you like the, the, the output of a manager of a leader is the sum of the outputs of his or her team. So what I'll do instead of just then being a micromanager trying to do everything on my own, I do the same. So this cascades down. And then the job gets done. Everybody's focused on 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 facilitating, and and I'll do some execution. Then I'll share some with the team. So it's it's a very I don't know collaborative way to doing things. And I guess the yeah leaders go from whatever they were doing before to actually facilitating <laughs> and, and protecting energy to for the people below them to drive value. So you feel that you have been eliminating bureaucracy from your company. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> what I want to ask you, like, how do you track that you work better now? 
like you talk in terms of like KPIs or like, well, you, you talk about like uh, purpose key results, but I mean, it's like, how do you know this, this way of working is working better than the old way of working? Like, do you track any metric? Do you, how do you manage this? In order to know like if it is actually works or if now it's like, I don't know, like a different <laughs> way of working, but we don't know. Yeah, we have the, we've got the, the OKRs. So we put a lot of, um, we're really mindful of these objectives because since we are doing all of those things from the power um, and we want to be results, the R, results driven, and, and we want to empower people, we need to be really mindful on how we set the goals and how we track the goals. So by tracking how well we're doing against our objectives, I think that we're seeing as a company that we're making a lot of progress. And in my personal case, um, I'm very happy with how I'm at the level I'm delivering right now. I was even given the feedback of, of being exceeding expectations and that's something that makes me very happy because in a new setup, new strategy, remote work, new team because I changed teams. So that, that is something that can be, can be tricky. And you know, I found that the new setup is working so well in a personal level. It's allowing me to deliver so much, um, so much work and so much value right now that I'm personally very happy. And then as an organization, we just measure um, how we're doing in OPRs. And a little something that we can we can talk about when we'll probably do another one of ways of working. But what we do now is we have three, we have one month, so we don't have four quarters in our organization. That's something else that we adapted. We have um, sprints of three months. And then every three months, we have one month of uh, reflection and planning. So we will dedicate two weeks to retrospect on what happened. And then we will dedicate two weeks on, on plan for the, for the next one. And that also allows us to actually pause, to re-energize. doesn't mean that we stop working, but we actually do it at a, at a different speed and velocity. And actually, we, we then get ready to start and kick ass during the next three months. No? So by cutting this, because otherwise what you're doing is you're doing these things half, you have asked these things, retrospecting and planning during the actual sprints. So what we do is actually we just set up some time for that. And that's actually driven by the execution unit that I, I talked about. So having this little structure actually gives us the support that we need without taking any autonomy from us. Is that the whole company that does this job? I find it extremely interesting. Yeah, the whole company. And uh, Miki, can I ask you, like, where, if you can remember, what would be like the top three stoppers that you found, or stoppers, or like difficult situations uh, that uh, because now I, I want, if I want to plan, imagine like I want to propose this to a company, no, like in order to transform the way they work. So in order to prepare for the worst case scenario, what would be like I don't know one, two, three situations that I might encounter. Uh, based on your experience? Because imagine like there is a company with different ages, uh, different like, I don't know, personal goals, you know, that, uh, okay, some people want stability and keep doing the, and within their comfort zone. Some people, they want to grow and, you know, and you find this yeah, more in a multinational level. So how, how, I don't know, did you encounter like stoppers or things that is like, hey, if you might find this, maybe solve it this way. I don't know if you find it, but I, I, I'm curious as well. Yeah, can, can you guys hear me? Because I, I lost you for yeah. a second. Okay, so I, I, I think that since it, it's something natural, we're, we're giving back um, what, in my view, and gives you know, meaning to work and what it makes it become a bit less of a, of a struggle <laughs> and makes it easier to actually uh, integrate it with your life. I don't know, it's something that when you implement it, 
then you start working in that way and you're like, oh my God, it makes sense. And what you say, we just discussed now, no? like, okay, I see that personally, it makes sense. I see that I'm adding value. I'm happy, that's it, period. But um, it's true that you, you, will find, um, you will find some specific cases that will not, either like they will, you know, fear uncertainty or they will not find their place or that they are assigned to a new job that actually they were, they were not looking forward to doing, or there's, there's specific cases. So there's specific cases where you're gonna have little friction. And my, my only advice is to, to be really, like Alex says, sometimes being really humane and address it in a personalized way. So you wanna, on the global scheme, you wanna, what we said before, and break it down into pieces that make sense, explain it really well, make it fun, take the, the, the fear away by you know, assuring that nobody's gonna get fired or that even if you leave, you're gonna have some, um, some salary for a few months. So all these things help, but then you're still gonna have cases here and there that get a bit more tricky. And, and in my opinion, you just need to address them at a personal level, try to understand each case individually, and then perhaps it makes sense to have somebody that is, um, I don't know if it's a psychologist, but somebody who has this softer touch, that more people skills kind of, that can help you uh, mm -hmm. address specific cases so that it doesn't, you know, explode, no, as a whole. But I think that if what you're doing is well explained, you cover all the different risks that people might have. You explain everything really well and you take it step by step. And I think that, well, but that's my personal experience. It's not, nothing is gonna explode. But if you want, I guess in a bigger company, what you can try is maybe you can do a test in a part of the company. You can start with a department. You can start, I don't know, you can start with a smaller scale. And then if it works, then you can, you know, extend it a bit. And, and from there, yep. you Yep. No, because it's, it's been curious because uh, I know some companies that they, they've been playing with it. And, and now we see, like, they, they've been co-living the two models. So they have, like, their own role. But then they created initiative global initiative that they could apply to and they are working with more like this this way but what happened is like the managers in one side kind of do the boycott to the to the project because they feel like people are not investing as much time as they should in the in the the formal projects and so trying to implement this as a test like we find like if managers from teams don't buy the global initiative where people are participating and they're adding value as well, they are kind of selfish. It's like, no, you should focus on my, you know, my priorities and not like the global. So I find this, that's why I was interested into like, okay, maybe that would, that would be. It makes, as we started with the, with the leads, by the way, so we did top down. So we first secured what the exco execution committee uh, would be. Then we secure what the tri uh, mega tribe, what we call mega tribe leads would be, then the tribe leads would be. And then we, we kept like going like this. And then we added any, every new layer. We added the new layer to the construction of, this, of the next layer. So we took into account like the execution unit, of course, to, to come up with tribe leads, leads to, to come up with who would be the squad leads, squad leads to come up with who would be the members. So everybody was waiting in the, the decision okay. and we were like going down, down, down. Okay, and you also like separated the, the not by teams, if not by the customer experience part, no? And, and, and how you separated like the value, I mean, imagine like you are a retail company, or imagine that you are building a software that you need to build before or to buy stuff before customer even enter in the equation. 
you take more like the journey of creating this product as well or in order to separate the sorry can you come again yeah you say like when we and reading the, you when you organize the teams you focus yeah. on the customer journey but imagine like as i was saying like you are in a retail company yeah that uh, you have to buy the stuff like the logistics to bring it in the pricing the everything or like build, building a product you have to build the product uh, have the features everything hold like the customer is not even in the equation yet the customer comes like uh, in another in a parallel cycle so how you structure the teams when the customer is not involved is more like in the logic process of the building the product i don't have that answer no but okay. uh, i guess that everything you're doing in a way is linked to the future value that you will bring to the customer now so um i guess that you can you can just like if there's parts and, and it's okay like if there's a part mm -hmm. where you're directly interacting with the customer you can still you can still follow your own journey i guess and then break it down okay. the, the takeaway here is to to break it down in a way that it's customized to you that it's not just like okay yeah. what are the departments i must have as a company okay no you actually think about yourself think about where you're doing the value that you're adding and then break it down that way fantastic alex do you want to add anything yeah just one one last question maybe as we're running a little out of time um the question is around um, the transition as for example i see companies like my one no you know bigger companies uh, very well structured and so on um what enablers would you think are required before even making a transition so for example one enabler that can clearly think about is probably reshaping the mindset of leaders another enabler is probably we need to have huge trainings for people into this new way of working because we work in such a different way another enabler might be creating that software tool where all the roles and tasks are there right um what maybe top three enablers you think would require for a big company uh, more in the old management style uh, would need? Um, yeah, that's a very tricky one. And, you know, uh, I haven't I haven't been collaborating with uh, really like traditional companies recently, but I think that it's it's the things, and you're probably known better than I do because you've been trying to change like or implement like something really innovative in at GB Food. So maybe you can also explain uh, for the audience a bit like what steps did you take initially. I think that would be really really helpful. No, but I think that in, in our cases, it's just um, trying to um, is what I said now. No, I guess trying to get not get the population all at once. So. You start by, again, you know, like in our case, maybe the execution unit. So you start by like the four people that are um, a bit more higher up, and then you decide which people are these gonna be, and then you involve them, even in the process of like designing this new org design. No? I think that these people even participated in the research of the new org design. So they were really involved in that from the inside. They were not told, okay, we're gonna do this, bye. They actually participated in that. Then once that was done, there was a group of, it was a bit larger now, perhaps it's like 10, 12 people who were like the trap leads. And they're like, okay, these people decided actually, and it was a bit top down, so it's like, okay, who are gonna be our trap leads? Okay, they made their decisions. That was a bit more an informal process. And then the trap leads were onboarded. So I guess like having onboardings by groups, I, I think that helped. You just like go to the whole company, like, okay, guys, are we gonna new or design? This is it. I think that that makes it more difficult, but when you get the buy-in and onboarding of some groups you integrating and in the and you empower them actually 
to take to wait into the decisions of the next one. I think that that helps. No, and as a tribe lead, I feel safe because I'm going to decide who are my squad leads. I'm going to have. They're not going to tell me, okay, these are your teams, these are your these are your leads. No, I'm going to decide who are my teams, and I'm going to have a, a, a say in who are my leads. So when I have all this power into the new process, I make it my own as well. No, so that's the only thing I'm going to say from from my end because the reality of a big traditional company is, is really tricky. No, but that's what I would suggest that we did, and I think that can be even more important in a traditional, large traditional company. I think that makes full sense. I think it's, it's really, really important. And that's why I precisely like your model probably better than Holacracy because it's a transition. So it's not like, as we said before, like all of a sudden you kill all the managers, all of a sudden you kill all the reporting structures and like this is how we're going to work. Um, this will bring chaos, right? So it's a journey probably in two steps, right? The first one is don't go to Holacracy just tomorrow. There's obviously probably these hybrid models as the one you just presented with team of teams that are in between. And then the, sec the second one is probably pilot it out, right? So maybe first focus on one business unit, then go to another business unit. It needs to be a transition because otherwise the amount of chaos that it can bring can be huge. Yeah, and, and even in a team of teams format, uh, um, you can opt for, for more of a, like a command of teams that they call it, where you, you at the beginning can let go of less um, decision power or uh, you know whatever uh, and then slowly open it up more so i think that once you have the setup then even if you start a bit more traditional you have the right setup to then slowly release no because if you don't change yeah. the setup then it's difficult to actually do it but you can keep okay we have a newer design but i'm still keeping that 85 percent of the decisions that are made at the squad or tribe level okay that's not going to happen yet so you can slowly i guess take steps yeah, well, I, was, cool. I was thinking about this as well to ask you this question, but I was reflecting. It's like at the end, it's an innovation process. So it's the same to implement the more recruiting, to implement the purpose, to implement this, because at the end, it's like a change. So what you were explaining, no? take the, the people more motivated, then more people, then the other people, and then the laggards, these people that don't even apply to any job and you have to think. So I think like the, the process, like the, adopt the adoption process is like the same for any innovative, innovative or change you want to do in in any company, uh, but it's great. Like we, well, like you explaining it, you find out like the different the different steps of it. So it was great. So I think like uh, well, like it's been like it's been super interesting. I think uh, uh, as I said, uh, I will have to rewatch again like the the whole talk or or at least like the pill or, or Mickey's pill because there is a lot of information. You will have to subscribe because then I will share tools exactly. I will share everything. <laughs> well, probably like I want to remember like All the if secrets, you want to eh? receive a, a written summary of the talk or no, the master uh, on the pill that I think it's really cool to have it all written down so you can dissect it and you can think about it. Uh, yeah, we will encourage you to uh, uh, subscribe to our newsletter. So the, the the only emails you will receive will be like the written summary and and the and the and little notification when we start the next talk. Maybe for Christmas we send a Christmas card at most. <laughs> who knows? We'll who knows? <laughs> other another surprises, you know, always. So yeah, just, I just want like to everybody out there, like for everybody that has been participating, thank you very much. I think like it's it's super cool uh, that if you can if you if you participate that so it's more enriching than just like the three of us. And also like Mickey, thanks a lot for your presentation and Alex as well. And and see you in two weeks for the next Quaret uh, masterclass. Thank you very much. And and just like a little remember, if you want to watch uh, the other 
coded master classes that we did. Like this is the, the sixth one. So we did other five. You can check out the, our YouTube channel. So yeah, thank you very much, everybody. And see you in two weeks.